Hello, and welcome to This Speech Life, a weekly audio course and podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com, exploring all things related to school-based SLP practice. I'm your host, Caitlin Lopez, MSCCC SLP, a pediatric SLP with 10 years experience in the school setting. Each week, we will cover three need-to-know aspects of that episode topic, two resources related to the topic, and one actionable strategy for tomorrow. Welcome to everyone to the fourth episode of This Speech Life. I am excited that you have joined us and more excited that we have the fabulous Margot Kinzer-Quarter with us to talk about all things auditory processing disorder and language processing disorder. Before we get started, we have just a few housekeeping items. As a reminder, if you are needing live CEUs for today, at the conclusion of today's course, please log into your speechtherapypd.com account and into the course portal for today and complete all modules, especially the module entitled quiz to make sure that you get your live credit. And then just as a reminder, there are no handouts for today. It is simply but not so simple conversation about auditory processing disorder and language processing disorder. All right. And before I do the formal introduction, I am going to read disclosures. I'm Caitlin Lopez, the host of This Speech Life. And my financial disclosure is I receive compensation for hosting the podcast from speechtherapypd.com. I have no relevant non-financial disclosures to report. Margot has authored the See It and Say It Visual Phonics program. And she also has received an honorarium for this presentation from speechtherapypd.com. There are no relevant non-financial disclosures to report. All right. And so without further ado, I am so excited to introduce all of you to the fabulous Margot Kinzer-Quarter. Margot Kinzer-Quarter began her speech-language pathology career in inpatient pediatric rehabilitation. From there, she moved to an outpatient clinic that specializes in language-based learning disabilities. Her medical and educational background of language and language disorders has provided the foundation of her 30-year career as a speech-language pathologist. She continues to do therapy and currently owns and is the lead speech-language pathologist at Quarter Communications, a private practice in Florida that provides school and clinic-based services. Margot is board certified and international presenter and consultant on language disorders. She is the 2013 recipient of the Nancy McKinley Leadership and Mentoring Award from OSSPEAC, and she received the 2016 Distinguished Teaching and Outstanding Contribution to the Educational Profession Award from the Bureau of Education and Research. She's the author of three practical speech and language books, all available on her website quartercommunications.com. All right, so we're here to talk about language processing and auditory processing disorder. A lot of us have some questions about how these present, how do we know the difference? So Margot, what three things do we need to know about auditory processing disorder and language processing? I think the first thing to really talk about is that we're going to talk about how they're similar and how they're different. And so it's always confusing because a lot of times these terms are used interchangeably and they're really not. And so we'll talk just a little bit about what auditory processing means and what language processing means. And it's a term we use a lot. And what's, what's really interesting, and we'll talk a little bit about when we look at some resources that are available to help us figure out this a little bit more, We'll often hear things like the student is having difficulty following directions in a classroom, I think it's, and the teacher may say, or a psychologist may say, or we might say, I think it's auditory processing. But really what they probably mean is it's the way that they're processing the language. So it's probably easiest to just kind of think about, I'm going to geek out here to start with because it's what I really like to do. So it is best for me when I'm thinking about auditory processing is to think about what we're really talking about is what is happening in the brain with the auditory nerve. And that auditory nerve comes up 
over the ponds on the brainstem, and it travels up and around and into the cochlea. And so auditory processing really means that there is something going on along that auditory nerve. So central meaning central auditory nervous system. So there's something going on along that auditory nerve. So we know that that truly is evaluated by an audiologist in sound field booth, and there's very specific situations that they're looking at in regard to information coming into the right ear and the left ear and ear preferences and not just speech sounds and words, but environmental sounds, background noise and all of that. So when we're talking language processing, what we're really talking about is what happens to when we attach meaning to the sound. So specifically for us as speech language pathologists, it's when we're starting to attach phonemes to the letters and sounds and all of that that come together. So just to geek out a little bit more, along that auditory nerve between Broca and Wernicke's area, there's a small little area called Heschel's gyrus. And Heschel's gyrus is where that meaning is attached to sound. So that is where we're going to overlap between auditory processing and language processing. So for example, for a student to be able to tell the difference between a p and a b or a ch and a d and a and an i. And not just in individual sounds, but to put that in words. So if the word is handle, did the student hear handle, did the student hear candle? So that as we're looking at moving from that auditory processing to language processing, we've got that little phonemic piece that occurs in that overlap in Heschel's gyrus. And so what we that's the first place. And then really what happens from there for language processing is that it goes to Broca's area, Wernicke's area, and then that frontal lobe kicks in for that executive function piece that is kind of that control center for all of those language areas. So again, just to kind of recap, central auditory processing is what is occurring along that auditory nerve from the cochlea to the brainstem or the brainstem to the cochlea, whichever way we're going there. And then we have an overlap for that phonemic awareness, that discrimination piece right between Broca and Wernicke's area and Heschel's gyrus. And then language we're talking, Broca Wernicke's area and into that frontal lobe. So that's really kind of that first in regard to what are three things we need to know. That's really the first piece of that because we have to make that distinction. So when we as speech language pathologists are talking about following directions, misunderstanding words, we'll talk a little bit on that expressive side, that retrieval piece. I, I've got it, it's stored, but I can't quickly and accurately retrieve that information. That's really what we start talking about when we think language processing. So the second thing that we need to know is as we are looking at language processing, we know that it's more than just our five areas of language. We know that it's more than morphology, phonology, syntax, semantics, pragmatics. There has to be other pieces there. And so we just talked about that phonemic piece. And then from that linguistic or that language perspective, then we start looking at morphosyntax because as we're looking at language processing the first thing we have to say is is the message coming into the student too complicated meaning when we look at the research in regard to auditory and reading comprehension we know that one of those big first pieces is understanding complex morphosyntactical structures so verb voice clause structure so if a teacher gives a direction like before we go outside, we need to finish this assignment. Does the student truly understand that it is about finishing the assignment and about us not going outside? Or if the direction is, we could have gone outside early if you would have finished this assignment, does the student understand that could have, would have relationship? So I, when we talk about language processing, I often talk about we got to look for the needles in the haystack. We have to say, where is it occurring? What area are we trying to break down here? And then when we look at a little bit further as we talk about that area, we have to look. The basic premise is that students with language processing often have age commensurate IQs. So as we're looking at vocabulary, we are talking about typically vocabulary skills receptively that are within that average range. 
But what we'll often see is this discrepancy between receptive and expressive because of that retrieval piece. So it's stored, but the student can't quickly and accurately be able to pull that information together. So that's the next piece. And then where language processing really hits the road is in those super linguistic skills that we talk about. So, and that's going to start bringing us into that frontal lobe that will be that last piece that we're going to talk about, that cognitive piece with executive function. So, as we start thinking about those super linguistic skills, that's the ability to understand the main idea. So, whether it's the main idea of a sentence, we will go to the park, it's about us. Or is it being able to understand the main idea of discussion in the classroom, teachers' lectures. The big area that we're going to talk about tonight is how all of this comes together for social pragmatic skills. So understanding the main idea of a conversation that a student is having with somebody else. And I refer to all that we see, whether whether in your setting you call clients or patients, students, I typically refer to students because that's where they have to be successful because that's where they spend their day. So it doesn't really matter the environment in which we work. We have to think about those peer interactions. We have to think about in the classroom and how, how these students can be successful. So the next piece would be understanding important details. So does the student pick up on kind of this this out there detail that really has nothing to do with the conversation or what the teacher is talking about and runs with it, or can they truly figure out what's important for me to understand this conversation here? And then we know super linguistic skills get into that ability to inference, that ability to predict reasoning skills, figurative language falls in here too. So those are the areas that we think about under linguistic for language processing. And then we move over to the cognitive piece. And cognitive not meaning IQ, because again, most of the time we're seeing age commensurate IQ, but what we're talking about, the students who have a lag in language processing speed, they just need more time. And then the next piece of that are executive functions. And so what we're going to do is, with number three, the third thing we need to know is truly how these super linguistic skills and this executive function come together to impact social pragmatic language. And that'll be the piece that we'll talk about as we continue through this evening. So we're going to spend most of our time on this number three. Okay. And so we'll look at those specific areas of executive function, and uh, we'll look at those specific areas of super linguistic skills, and we'll talk specifically about, we know that this impacts everything the student does, whether, again, lectures in the classroom, discussions in the classroom, auditory reading comprehension of any information, following directions. But what we're going to do is we're going to take all of this in that last area within language that we often see impacted by language processing are those social skills. And so we'll talk about why. And so we'll kind of look at, we'll look at a way to be able to look at this a little easier and a little bit more uh, with visual graphics strategy for our students as well. So when we are looking, we've already kind of talked about those super linguistic skills. So let's talk a little bit about executive function. And I typically love to go back to Dawson and Guare's work. And um, they have executive skills in, in students, and there's a couple different, they're the authors of Smart But Scattered, Smart But Scattered Team. And when they look at executive functions, they look at two purposes of executive function. The first one are those skills that we need or our students need for thinking and achieving goals. And then the other ones are the ones that guide behavior. So I'm going to go through each of these, but I'm going to crosswalk it back to what it means from that social perspective. And the reason why is we often think of these executive function skills from an environmental perspective. So do they have a messy locker? Do they have a messy desk? Do they interrupt? And so we really look at kind of how they function within the environment. But we're really going to look at the purpose, kind of that control center of the brain, and what that means to process language overall. So as we look at those executive functions for thinking and planning, the big one right off the top is working memory. 
So again, we're going to crosswalk this over to social skills. So as we think about working memory, that ability to hold information into memory for just the length of time that we need for whatever we need to do with that information. So from a social perspective, what that would mean is being able to hold that conversation that you're having with your peers into memory. Because if I don't hold it into memory, I can't get back to those super linguistic areas of, did I get the main idea? Did I hold on to those details? Could I make inferences about what you're saying? Could I predict where it's going? If, if I can't hold that information into working memory, I'm not able to do any of those pieces that I need to with that conversation. So the next area under that ability to plan and achieve are, I'm going to put kind of three together. So planning and prioritizing, we'll put those together, and then organization. So we often think about that from just organizing our thoughts, being able to plan what one wants to say, being able to get those thoughts down on paper in an organized, um, sequential manner. From a social perspective, I have to do the same thing. I have to be able to take the information that's coming in from a super linguistic perspective, understanding that main idea, the details, the inferences, the predictions. And then what I have to do is hold that into working memory and then to plan and organize and prioritize what's important to say back. So that's that first piece of executive function that comes in. The next one under that to plan and achieve goals is time management. So from that social pragmatic perspective, figuring out how, how to say enough but not too much so that I'm not dominating a conversation. So I want to be involved in that conversation, but I can't be the only one that's not that that's doing the talking. And then the last one under there is metacognition, which is kind of thinking about thinking. In one area we haven't talked about yet is background knowledge. So we know in order to process through language, one has to have enough background knowledge in order to be able to link to something I already know that I've learned a lesson from, that I can build upon, that I can justify a situation. And that's where this metacognitive piece, it's kind of looking at that big picture, using my background knowledge, thinking through the conversation, whether it's during that time that I'm having it or to be able to go back and reflect on that at another time. And then executive skills to guide kind of what we do in our behavior. The first one is response inhibition. And that's, you're having a conversation with a friend and they say something and you holler out, that's stupid. <laughs> that's that response inhibition, that's that stop gap, that temporary gap to go, hmm, just because I'm thinking it, it should not come out my mouth. And so, because it's hard to have friends if you aren't able to inhibit those responses. We see those children in the classroom all the time. They're the ones who don't raise their hand and blurt out an answer or raise their hand and blurt out an answer at the same time waiting to be called upon. And so those are going to be those that they just don't have that filter to be able to stop and think through when the super linguistic skills again, I wonder what's going to happen if I say this. And they don't have the filter to be able to do that. The next one is sustained attention. Again, to go along with memory, I have to be able to sustain attention to that conversation. And so what I'm really, I'm not talking about necessarily attention deficit disorder, attentional disorders at this point. What I'm talking about from that language processing perspective is if the information gets to be too much. So the verbal information coming at me, can I still stay in the game? So do I start thinking about something else, where I'm going, what I want to do, what's the next thing? Or can I stay in that conversation even when I may not have the background knowledge? The morphosyntax becomes too complicated for me. So being able to stay in the game, so that sustained attention piece. And then the next biggie is flexibility and thinking. And that's that ability to realize there's, there's more than one side to every story and so when we think about that from from this executive function perspective and language processing piece these are the students that are really hard to work in a group together in the classroom 
it's hard to make friends because I only want to do it one way. And so that flexibility to be able to step back and, and just be able to help justify that there's more than one possible answer for this solution. So those are the three areas as we look at this auditory processing and language processing that we need to know. So one is that difference between auditory and language. And the second are those areas of language processing. And then the third is how that super linguistic skill, that executive function, that cognitive piece come together for social pragmatic skills. Wow. Thank you so much for breaking that down so beautifully. It's a lot of information, you know, as you're geeking out with the the anatomy of it. And I, I really appreciate just the way that you, you break it down in such a way that, yes, our language disordered students really could benefit from thinking about, you know, their language disorders through this lens of language processing and not maybe so set on just a very, you know, small piece of the puzzle. So thank you for that. So as we're looking at language processing, as we're looking at the different areas within language processing, and especially how language processing, you know, the super linguistic and the executive function skills come together, what resources do you have for us to be better practitioners at this or maybe understand it just a little bit more. Wonderful. So the, the two biggies that, well, I'm going to go ahead and give you three. So we talked about that I would come up with two, but I'm going to give you three. And the first one is um, Ashes. if you go to Ashes Practice Portal for clinical topics and you put in Central Auditory Processing Disorder, because if you went out to Ash's website and you put in language processing, what it's going to do, it's going to pop you over to their position statement on auditory processing. But in their practice portal, so again, Ash's practice portal, go to clinical topics, central auditory processing disorder, or just in their search, put in central auditory processing, and then you'll see practice portal. And it, it basically is their position paper on what is central auditory processing? But as a piece of that, so as you're going through that information, about halfway down or three quarters away down the first page, boy, I'm really geek, aren't I? I can tell you where it is, even on the scope of practice here. Dr. Gail Richard, who is truly our guru for language processing, her information is included in that practice portal in regard to some auditory processing. And so what it does, it lays out, here's what central auditory processing is, and then it lays out that phonemic piece that we talked about, which is the overlap between Heschel's gyrus. And then it goes into the linguistic piece, and it talks about those areas that we just talked about here. Because we know that as we look at central auditory processing, here's some things that you're going to see there. It says that, and I'm just going to quote this, and this is right from that, is that CAPD may lead to or be associated with difficulties in higher order language. And so Dr. Richard does a really nice job in that position statement of talking about what that higher order language is. Now, typically a question I get asked at this point is, can you have auditory processing disorder without language processing? and vice versa. Can you have a language processing disorder without an auditory processing disorder? And I think this resource does a really good job at helping us look at that. And the answer is pretty much yes to both of those. So um, I'm very fortunate to present with um, and, and to work with a, an educational audiologist. And we have opportunities to present this topic together. And she talks a lot about there's probably some auditory piece along the way that could potentially cause this language problems because first and foremost about the maturity of the auditory system. And we know that that system doesn't fully mature till about age eight and up. So, you know, her premise is as a very young child, they may have some auditory issues going on 
that could lead to some language difficulties. So there's a little bit more crosswalk back and forth between, yes, central auditory and language. But if we think about language processing and we take out that phonemic piece, so let's say the student has the linguistic and the cognitive pieces, so the morphosyntax, the semantic retrieval, the superlinguistic skills, we'll talk about the social skills, and they have the executive function cognitive piece, but not the phonemic piece, that discrimination piece in Heschel's gyrus. Then that means I have a language processing disorder, but it's not rooted in along the auditory nerve with that first piece being phonemic. So the, just that ashes practice portal just it does a really nice job at both being able to look at auditory and language processing. Did you know that SpeechTherapyPD.com has weekly live and interactive webinars? We are the fastest growing CE provider. Subscribe today to get access to over 750 different courses in audio or video format. The next one I want to talk about. I hope I can remember the topic. It is by Dr. Gail Richard and it's from ProEd and it is the source for language processing. And it is a really good resource to be able to really go through those areas of language processing. I'll toot my own horn. I also have two different ones on Speech Therapy PD in regard to, I think I have either four or six hours on language processing overall. There's another one on the executive function and language. So those are, that's another one. And then the last one, which is where we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about, because it is a great strategy to be able to help our students with this language processing, super linguistic skills, executive function. And it is from do2learn.com. So it's www.do, the number two, learn.com. And so if you go to, up across the top, there is a section that will say social skills toolbox. If you go to the social skills toolbox, you will see the decision making guide. So decision-making guide. And so what I'm going to do is verbally go through and tell you what this looks like. And then what we're going to do is we're going to apply those super linguistic skills and those executive function to the social pragmatic piece of it. Before I do that, what I want to do is I want to read to you Martin and McDonald's definition of social pragmatic skills. So this is from Martin and McDonald, 2003. And I'm going to read this uh, verbatim, and, and, and this isn't their words verbatim, I've added some other information in here, but I want to show you how these pieces come together for that social pragmatic piece. It says social pragmatics skills are the most complex aspect of linguistic functioning, as it requires integration of consequently for intervention to yield effective long-term outcomes. Clinicians need to approach pragmatics as an integrative domain combining neurocognitive abilities, so language processing, speed, superlinguistic skills, background knowledge, executive function, and linguistic knowledge. And so when we think about this language processing and how it does impact those social skills, I think Martin McDonald did a great job at being able to look at this neurocognitive integrative approach that includes all of these areas. And that's the premise that we're going to work under as we apply to the decision-making guide from Duke to Learn. So again, decision-making guide, and if you have trouble finding it by going to do to learn and then the social skills toolbox, uh, just put in your, your search engine, decision-making guide, do to learn.com, and it will take you right to that specific page. And when you get on that page, you'll see right at the top, there'll be an example on the page, but right at the top is you'll see a, a hyperlink that will take you right to a blank form that you can use. And so the way that this form is set up, so there is a square at the top of the page, and then down from that, so arrow down, you have three boxes under that. So one box at the top, three boxes underneath that, and then underneath each of those boxes, there is two columns, one for pros and one for cons. So again, square at the top, Next layer down as you're coming down your page, 
three squares, and then under each of those, two rectangles, for one for pros and one for cons. So the way this works is when you're talking about that issue, which is the top box, we're talking about the main idea. So if we're looking at this from a super linguistic perspective, that is the main idea. So I have so many students with language processing disorders that can't get to the main idea. One of the examples I love to, to use is I had a student come in one day and she said, my best friend's mad at me. And I'm like, okay, why? And she said, I have no idea. And so I sat down and we started going through and I just basically, I used a, like a mind map with a circle in the middle with information along the outside. I just started putting all, everything she was telling me. And I finally looked at her and I said, did you say something mean about her sister? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, that's why she's mad at you. And she's like, really? So from a social perspective, that inability to get the main idea was really hurting her. She would pick up on the most abstract detail and run with it as if it were the main idea. So this decision-making guide from Doodle Learn was a really good tool for her and many of the other ones that I work with that, that have that difficulty getting to the main idea. When we look at the next level down, so the three boxes, those become options. So option one, option two, and option three. And those really are kind of those level one details. So as we think about it from a super linguistic perspective, we issue the main idea, and then we have three details, and we'll talk about how to move through those. So as we think from an executive function perspective, we think about when there is a social situation that presents itself that our students are having difficulty with, we have they have to be able to think of three possible solutions. They have to plan those. They have to organize their thoughts. They have to be flexible in their thinking that there are more than one option here that we talked about. They have to have that theory of mind and understanding that there's somebody else's perspective that I have to take into consideration. And so, and then we'll pull in the background knowledge. Have, have I ever been in a situation like this before? So that's where we can see the super linguistic skills and all of those come together. So what, what the student does is that we have a main idea, the issue, the top box, option one, two, three, the next ones. Those rectangles underneath are pros and cons. So what the student has to be able to do is to come up with all of the pros and cons of each option. And so as, again, they have to be able to organize their thoughts. They have to be able to generate those ideas. They have to reason through possible solutions, which is back to that super linguistic. They have to make inferences about what could happen if I do this. They have to be able to predict what might happen if I do this. So I'm going to pause for a second, see if there's any questions, and then we'll go through a specific example. Uh, no questions at the moment, but I love this. I'm already starting to think of, oh my goodness, I know exactly which students I can start to utilize this with. So thank you. You're welcome. And, and that made me think of something as well. So I, I had the opportunity for several years to work with a school, private school for students with learning differences. And I will tell you that several of us kept stacks of these on our desk because you never knew when there was going to be a situation that came up that you were going to need to process through that. So we'll talk a little bit as we kind of wrap up our time together here in a little bit. We'll talk about using this decision-making guide to get in front of a situation. And I'll give you some examples of that. And then we'll talk about how to be able to use this decision-making guide if a situation has already occurred. The goal either way is to help the student start developing that little frontal lobe stop gap. So instead of making that quick executive dysfunction decision in regard to, well, it's the first thing that came to my mind, or it's the only way I can see this, being able to create that little executive function stopgap to say, I have more than one option here. Okay? So let's go through a situation. So the issue is the student 
it wants to go to a friend's house, but the students or the friend's parents are not going to be at home. So the student knows this right off the bat. So what are my possible options? So the first option could be go anyway and don't tell my parents. So if we can get into all kinds of being able to look at, okay, what are the pros and cons of that? So the first pro could be, I'm going to have lots of fun. There's not going to be any parents there. The next one could be, we can do what we want because the parents are going to be there. The third one could be, we can watch movies, we can make food. Um, there's so much that we can do. So the student came up with three possible pros of going anyway and not telling my parents. So some cons that might come up is the student's going to get in a lot of trouble if her parents find out, um, or if her friend's parents find out, might get grounded, won't be allowed to go to my friend's house again, at least for a long time. Parents will be mad. And parents might not trust us because we lied to them in the first place. So that's five cons for that first one. So we have three pros, five cons. So probably not our best decision to make because what we want is to find a possible solution where we have more pros than cons. So the second one might be, instead of going when parents aren't home, we can go another time when the parents are home. So pros to that could be, We'll still have lots of fun, even though the parents are going to be there. We can hang out in her room for privacy. We can watch movies, uh, maybe order a pizza, and we're not going to get in trouble. So for option two about going another time, there's five pros to that. So cons, won't get in trouble. Well, that would still be a pro. Not going to get in trouble for breaking the rules. A con would be... I won't get to go when I wanted to go because I really wanted to go on Friday night, but now I'm going to have to go somewhere else. We might not get to watch the movie that we want to watch. So that one has uh, five to six pros and two cons. So probably a little better solution for that one. The next one could be, well, I could invite my friend to my house. So pros, we could still have lots of fun. We can hang out in my room for privacy. We can watch the movies we want, maybe order a pizza. We're not going to get in trouble. And we can get together Friday night or whenever we want. So we have six pros to that one as well. The con is there's really not many cons to that. I might think it's a con because I can't go to my friend's house with my parents not there. But that really doesn't turn into much of a con. So really what I have for this option is I have six pros and really no cons to that. And so as we think about this, we know that what I want to do, I really want to go. So when I think about not having flexibility in thinking and that response inhibition and impulse control, all of those executive functions, I say, I want to go, so that's what I'm going to do. But we have to think about that flexibility, that there are other solutions. So really for this scenario, option two or option three, option two, go another time when the parents are home, is a possible solution. And option three, invite my friend to come to my house. So that is just one example of being able to use this decision-making grid to get in front of a situation. I love that. Thank you for walking us through an example. And even as you were talking, so I'm already thinking of, okay, if I have, I'm thinking of my students that I can use this with. And something that I think might be beneficial is utilizing some visuals with them because some of them I'm thinking might be, this might be even a little bit too high level, but we can eventually work them to that spot of them being able to utilize the decision-making tree, you know, on their own. So I love that. So Keelan, another, and this, I've used this with kind of the opposite end, but I think it would work for the students that you're talking about as well. But I've used this also, when I use this late middle school, high school, what I often do is I take it down to two options because I want students in at the, at the spur of the moment when a situation comes up to be able to say, I have more than one option here. 
And so that has worked out really well. So that may be besides adding some visuals to it for younger students, because here's what we know when we, when we think about language processing, if we really think about it, where, where we expect those super linguistic skills to come in, is truly about that third grade level, because cognitively that's our first big leap where we see kind of that where we go from learning to read to reading to learn. So that's where we see that first big cognitive kind of leap that we see from an executive function perspective. But we know from an executive function perspective that it starts with our two-year-olds and our three-year-olds and continues to develop into 20s. So as we think about that frontal lobe of the brain is the last area to develop. So, you know, some research you look at says 24, 25 for everyone. Others you look at says ah, 19 to 21 for females, up to 24 for males. And so, but we know that that part of the brain continues developing at least to early mid 20s. But it doesn't, but it starts with our two-year-olds. So if you think about it, this is something that could definitely grow with them. And like I said, a lot of times what I'll do on either end is just take it down to a couple different options. Awesome. Thank you for that. And thank you also for bringing up that point of, okay, you know, what are executive function skills that we can think of with our littles? They may not need to come up with solutions to problems, you know, at three years old, like they might, you know, at fifth and sixth and seventh grade. So, but if we work on those appropriate executive function skills, it could only help them, you know, further on when they get to those higher grades and those higher order language skills. So thank you for bringing up that point. All right. So you also had mentioned that you were going to walk through another example, I think of kind of in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's talk. So what I want to do is kind of look at some situations where we could use this decision making guide. And so we went through an example of kind of that, let's get in front of it before it happens. So, I mean, what's really nice for those of us that are so privileged to work in middle school and high school, I just listen to conversations. And so, you know, whether that is with the group that I have in therapy or if that's when I'm in the classroom or in the hallway or wherever that might be. And so it is not difficult to find situations where, Let's try to get in front of a situation. We know this is coming up. How do we get in front of this situation? So those are sometimes easy to do. Another example, as we talk about kind of those younger students, this was a second, third grade group. And it was right before the, the winter holidays. And I had a student who also had a birthday within that time as well. So it's October, November. I know we have holidays coming up. And even though I had my lesson plan for that session already figured out, one of the students said, and it, it wasn't, we, this was just a language group, but one of the students said, well, I had my birthday party and my friend gave me such and such a gift and I told him I didn't want it. And I thought, oh, this is going to be great. We, we have holidays coming up and grandparents and aunts and uncles and, you know, we're going to be buying gifts and really pleased with the, the gift that they buy. So we switched gears and we pulled out the decision-making guide and we started through that situation. So this is kind of an example of, okay, this one situation has already occurred, so I can't get in front of that, but I can get in front of what might come next. And so... What we did is we went through, we did some life lessons with this too in regard to, so you receive a gift that you didn't want, what could you do? So that first solution, which already occurred, I can just tell them I don't want it. So we went through the pros and cons of that and talked about from that social perspective, hurting your friend's feelings and kind of laid out the pros and cons and said, maybe this isn't the best. So the second option we came up with, I could say, I really like it, which means that now I'm telling a little white lie. So then we had to talk about, okay, so what would that really mean? Third solution could be I could just say thank you and then talk to my parents after that. And so as we laid out the pros and cons of that situation, the students quickly figured out that maybe the best thing to do would be able to just say thank you and then be able to discuss it afterwards. So that's kind of an example of using it with younger students and then also being able to get them 
behind and in front of a situation. So again, let's pull this right back into what our conversation is tonight in regard to language processing. And when we really think those second, third graders are right on that cusp of those super linguistic skills really starting to kick in, those executive skills still developing. But what we're talking about as we look at language processing, when we look at this decision-making guide, is what we're seeing is that those, those skills aren't developing the way they're supposed to. Whether it's those super linguistic skills, that main idea, the supporting details, the inferencing, the prediction, figuring out figurative language. And then also, we're not talking about executive skills that are developing the way we would expect them to develop. What we're really starting to look at are those skills not developing the way they're supposed to. So there's a difference there. So as we look at being able to use something like this decision-making guide, it works well for many different kinds of students. But when we bring it back into our conversation at this point, is really looking at how to process through all of that language, how to plan, to organize, um, to get to main ideas of situations, to be flexible in thinking, and be able to pull those, those two big pieces of language processing together. So let me give you some examples after the situation. I'm going to give you, let's just go ahead and use, I'm going to use the same student. And I'm going to give you several examples from this one particular student. So this is a student that really had difficulty with that executive function piece. He really had difficulty with those super linguistic, the whole language processing piece. Very bright student, very gifted in science and math, very gifted in music, and but very inflexible from a social pragmatic perspective, an executive function perspective in social skills and, and being able to pull those pieces together. So, so I saw this student in the summer between sixth and seventh grade and so I saw this student privately and here's what his dad said his dad said he's really having difficulty understanding fiction could you work with him on understanding fiction this summer and I'm like he's really smart so yeah this, this will be easy and I thought let's just pull out a plot diagram we'll pull in all those executive function skills of being able to plan and organize the super linguistic skills of did you find the conflict was it resolved? Let's make some predictions about I can pull those things in pretty easily from that language processing piece and be able to work on that. And so we went through the plot diagram and the student was really getting all of the aspects, all of the story elements without a problem. So we got to the theme of the story. The student couldn't get to the theme because he wasn't able to take a character or author's perspective. So where we saw that from a pragmatic perspective was he had that inflexibility of thinking, couldn't take his listener's perspective in a conversation because of that inflexibility, couldn't justify any other position besides his own. And then what we were doing is seeing that come in and impact him from an academic perspective. And so once I could help him start putting himself into the character of the author's work, we finally was able to get to the theme. So done, finished. Well, I get a call at the end of that school year to see if he could come back the next summer. And here was the situation at this point. So in school, he had been in a social group through sixth grade, discharged because he was doing really well. So fast forward another year and a half, no, two years later, so end of eighth grade, getting ready to go into freshman year, he was expelled from school um, for stalking a young lady. And from his inflexibility of thinking, when the principal said, you can't follow her on social media, you can't talk to her in the hallway, he, he didn't do those things. So he listened. But he felt like he could justify looking at her on the school website, et cetera, et cetera. Well, then the resource officer, the principal, pulls him in, and he's upset because he's really not sure. He's got a justification for what he's doing. And this is a really good kid. He just didn't understand the social ramifications, being able to pull those super linguistic and those executive function pieces together. So he got upset. He ended up kicking a chair, resource officer took him to the ground, he's expelled from school. So 
I see him that summer to kind of work through that situation in regard to all of the social ramifications of that. So fast forward, freshman year, he's not allowed to attend extracurricular activities. So he's walking down the hall one day, and a student says to him, a a student that he's just learning, and the student says, you want to go to the football game with me Friday night? And the student says no and walks away. So he comes into therapy, and he's got a three-ring binder with all these decision-making guides from do to learn. And he said, here's the situation that happened today. So we sat down and we laid out, and he said no because he wasn't allowed to and didn't want to say that. So we laid out that, you know, that, that response inhibition, that flexibility in thinking there's more than one solution. So this is the perfect example that I told you, Caitlin, that to really take it down to kind of two options. So I could say no, what are the pros and cons of that? Or I could say, I can't go to the game, but how about we find something else to do? What are the pros and cons of that? So with this student, we looked at situations like him telling the band director that he was instructing them the wrong way because of that inflexibility of thinking you couldn't see things two ways. And so we talked about, okay, instead of blurting out in class, you're wrong, what could you do differently next time? And so, and that worked out really well because the same thing happened freshman year that happened eighth grade year and it comes in he goes well today in band and I said oh what did you do he goes I waited till after class I approached the teacher and said hey you taught it this way I learned it this way or both ways okay and so by using something like this decision making guide to get to those super linguistic skills to get to those executive function skills of language processing he was able to take a situation that had already happened that we processed through and make a different decision that next time So those are just some of the ways that we can really use this decision-making guide either to get in front of or behind those specific situations. Are you taking advantage of the certificate tracker? Not only does it store your certificates from all of your evidence-based and practical courses from speechtherapypd.com, but you can also upload certificates earned from other CE providers. It's the easiest way to store and keep track of your CEUs. Just another perk of membership. I love this decision-making guide, especially as you're talking through this particular student. Just the idea of him learning how to advocate for himself appropriately and him not just having to live within this box that the people around him have created for him, but he's coming up with the solutions as well. And he's coming up with the pros and the cons. You know, it's not just, okay, these are your only two options, you know, that I as the adult am telling you what is going to happen. You're coming up with this and you're processing this on your own, which is so, so helpful, you know, especially as we are all trying to become more neurodiverse affirming that that is, that's a great, great way of helping our students learn how to advocate for each other. Yeah, and what and what I what I appreciate with working with middle school, high school students, it really is about uh, putting putting the onus back on them. And what I love about this decision making guide is that they can bring situations to therapy in regard to what they want to work on and what's important for them. So as we start talking about neurodiversity and looking at where do we go from a social pragmatic perspective, I really love looking at. And you're right, it's, I, I think it is empowering for the student to be able to say, what can I do here? And, and I think by being able to do that and being able to generalize the skills that something so simple like this decision-making guide will do for them is that we're really setting them up for success through college and through life. And so, because as we talk about this language processing, these are students that often figure out strategies on their own maybe not the most effective strategies. So if we can arm them with effective strategies that coincide with where they're going and what they want to do, like I said, we can we can lead to some pretty, even if that frontal lobe of the brain is not developing the way that others does, it's okay because we can, we can figure out how do we bring these pieces together for whatever the student wants that success to be. Yes, that's such a great point. I love that, that you brought that point up as well, that students are coming 
to you with things that are important to them and interactions and situations where they're knowing that they're not comfortable with it for whatever reason, or they're wanting to have more connection in some aspect. Uh, So I really love that as well as we're moving forward, you know, of not us just prescribing, this is how your interactions need to be, but how do you want your your interactions to be? How do you judge them to be successful? So I think, and I think that's great. That was especially highlighted in that story of the the student who said, well, I didn't want to tell him I'm not allowed to go. You know, so then it was, okay, well, what other options can we say without giving that white lie? But also, you know, and the decision-making tree, it really is that idea of working ourselves out of a job, which is, which is what we're supposed to be doing. You know, once, once they become successful with it on their own, then they can take it and utilize it all the way through the rest of their life if it is something that is of value to them. Absolutely. So what I want to do now is we have a few minutes left to see if there are any questions that anybody wants to go through before I start recapping what we've talked about today. So we'll give just a second here to see if there are any questions or comments. And please don't be shy. All right. Well, if you think of any questions or comments while Margot is recapping, we still have we still have a few minutes here. We're going to go just a little bit extra into the hour, so feel free to pop those in. And so, Margot, why don't you go ahead and just give us your your loose interpretation of the three, two, one. Wonderful. All right. So our goal today was to look at first question is three things that we want to know about looking at language processing and auditory processing. So what we did is we looked at those similarities and differences between that auditory and language processing. So just kind of in a nutshell, put central back in front of auditory processing. So it helps us remember it's what's going on along that auditory nerve in the central nervous system from the cochlea back to the brainstem. We overlap between auditory processing and language processing excuse me, in Heschel's gyrus, which is right between Broca and Wernicke's area, that the auditory nerve travels through. And then when we take that over to language processing, then what we're looking at is that linguistic and that cognitive piece. So what I want to do is just, I want to recap with, now that we've talked through all of that, what I want to do is I want to give you the specific definition of language processing. So when we talk about language processing, we're referring to the integration of phonemic, there's the area in Heschel's gyrus, linguistic, we talked about morphosyntax, we talked about that retrieval piece, we talked about superlinguistic and how that superlinguistic is going to come up and impact social pragmatic skills. And then cognitive information at a rapid pace. So that cognitive information would be that lag of language processing speed or being able to process language as it's coming in without having that lag. And then those executive function skills that we talked about to develop appropriate listening and language skills. So let me recap that again. Language processing refers to the integration of phonemic, linguistic, and cognitive information at a rapid pace to develop appropriate listening and language skills. So that is the definition when we look at language processing to be able to pull those pieces together. And then that third piece, as we look at that definition of language processing, to be able to take that executive function piece and to be able to take those super linguistic skills and say, how does this impact social pragmatic skills, because we know that students with language processing that have difficulty in those two big areas, which are what language processing is, it's going to come together, that super linguistic and executive, and it's going to impact their social pragmatic skills. So again, as we looked at Martin and McDonald's definition from 2003, it is the most complex aspect of linguistic functioning, as it requires integration of information across numerous cognitive systems. Consequently, for intervention to yield effective long-term outcomes, 
clinicians need to approach social pragmatic skills as an integrative domain combining neurocognitive abilities, which include language processing speed, superlinguistic skills, background knowledge, executive function, and linguistic skills. So what we then did is we used the decision-making guide from do2learn.com to be able to bring those pieces together to look at those super linguistic skills of main idea, what are the important details, making inferences, making predictions, and we pulled all of those executive function skills, that working memory, that organization, that planning, that time management, response inhibition, and we can pull all of those together in this really simple tool that uh, will help our students become independent in those social situations that are important to them. Okay, so this is a question from an anonymous attendee. Do we tend to see this more in students on the spectrum or with ADHD? I feel like our elementary kids who have DLD are usually working on vocab or grammar unless they have something else that impacts the super linguistic skills. So here's, here's the tricky part when we look at language processing. When... If we look at this from a psychologist, let's go back and look at this from a psychologist's perspective. Here's what we typically see from psychologist testing is that we will see age commensurate IQ. So let's start there first and foremost. So age commensurate IQ, but we'll see the retrieval issues. We'll see that language appears to be impacting all academic areas. So when we think about, I guess when I think about autism or attention deficit, well, and let me kind of split those out. When I think about autism, if you look at the true definition of autism, we know that we're truly looking at that the social pragmatic piece, right? That's really what it comes to. And so when we're looking at language processing, we're really looking at more than just difficulty with social pragmatic skills. So again, when we look at that linguistic, we're looking at not necessarily that I don't have the vocabulary skills that you might see with DLD. I have age commensurate IQ, receptive vocabulary skills, but we'll often see that retrieval piece in there as well. We'll see difficulty with morphosyntax. So it's not just all those areas of language that we look at with morphology, phonology, syntax, semantics, pragmatics that we would look at with an overall developmental language disorder. Autism, a lot of times we're looking, there could be other language issues, but a lot of times, again, if we look at the definition, we're looking at that social pragmatic piece. So when I think, and I'll come back to the attention piece here in a minute. So when I think about students on the autism spectrum could have language processing issues, but language processing overall isn't reserved for students that are autistic. And so I hope that makes sense. It's kind of not really like a chicken egg thing, but I think we're looking at a broader group of students. You know, I'll give you a perfect example. I have my own, I always say when I do a full day seminar on this, I'm talking about my own child, um, very gifted in science and math, he has pretty good social skills, his phonemic awareness is horrible, he misunderstands words, and so by him misunderstanding words, it really impacts how he completely understands all the language that's coming at him. He's not on the spectrum. He definitely is a language processing kid. So let's come back to the attention piece. So when we're looking at attention deficit, we're really starting to talk some more from low pieces here. And so we do see that a lot of executive dysfunction goes with attention deficit disorder, but you can have attention deficit disorder and difficulty with executive function without having the linguistic language pieces of the morphosyntax, the semantic retrieval, and some of those other pieces. So in my opinion, all of these can overlap, but they can all be separate entities on their own. The hard part with language processing is if we do a standardized test, such as the self, such as the told, such as maybe the castle, we're not going to pick up those needles in the haystack of all those language processing areas. So your standard scores might look okay, but the teachers are going, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's something going on. So what I would say to you, go back and look at your state 
special education law and look at the definition of specific learning impairment. Because when you look at that definition of specific learning impairment, it talks about, it talks truly about the language piece and how that language piece impacts reading and writing. That definition of specific learning impairment really fits language processing really well. So sometimes these students, if you don't give the right assessment, they may not end up on your caseload, but they may need 504 accommodations. They may need some resource support, but if you dig a little deeper to look for those needles in a haystack, these might be students that are on your caseload for a very short period of time, but by teaching them strategies such as the decision-making guide, if we look at note-taking, if we look at all those pieces to help them with those super-linguistic skills and that executive function and the retrieval, again, we could be making some life, life changes for them to be able to figure out how to best learn on their own, and then they can take off from there. So don't forget that when we look at IDEA and we look at qualifications and that ability, my retrieval is going here. When we look at those inclusions for special education, your clinical judgment is a piece of that as well. And it doesn't just have to rely on standardized tests, you can rely on dynamic assessment and all kinds of other information that goes into that. So feel free to reach out to me at any point. You can, my email address is Porter CX, so C O U R T E R C X at gmail.com. And if you have any questions or want more information, again, there's a couple of presentations that I have on Speech Therapy PD on a full four or six hours on language processing. So if you have more information at any point, either after you watch those or even before, as you think of specific students, don't hesitate to reach out at any point. Absolutely. I cannot recommend Margot's courses enough. Not only is she just such a great communicator and teacher, but the handouts that she provides for those courses, I ended up printing mine out and they are like shreds because I use them all of the time with all of my students and even my colleagues know, oh, I'm going to ask Caitlin. I think that, you know, this is a higher order language problem, or I'm curious what Caitlin's going to say with her handbook because I refer to them as handbooks. So I cannot recommend her courses enough. Margo, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for spending this hour with us and then some to just dive in a little bit deeper and answering our questions and helping us just understand these skills at a little bit of a higher level so that we can we can work ourselves out of a job, you know, help our students become more independent. So thank you so much. And we hope to see you back here same time next week, next Tuesday. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for joining me. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us at This Speech Life. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe.